Fish, ASA, the best time fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. They sure do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can get it at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is produced by my good friend, Brad Nearman. He's our executive producer. He's down there in Lando Lakes, Florida, doing a great job for us, as he always does. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We're going to welcome Joe O'Pogger. He's with Major League Fishing, and we are going to have a visit with uh, one of the best young anglers around, Josh Bertrand. Just won a huge win, the WNUS Open in Arizona. Arizona, they have fishing in Arizona? They sure do. We're going to talk about it, but first, let me hand it off to Dave Kranz. He's going to bring out Dan Johnston. Take it away, Dave. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. You know, we're we're in November. It's hard to believe, but it's, it's, it's getting late in the year. There's not any ice up north yet, and way down south, they're still pretending it's early fall. And but in the middle part of the country, the guys from up north can travel and uh, go to uh, not too far places, Missouri and and uh, places like that. And I know you do that in the fall before you jump in a tree stand. What what kind of fishing do you do down there? Well, it's amazing because you're right. I mean, there's almost like a dividing line on Interstate 70 in Missouri where it, it's a different season than, than it is where I live in Iowa uh, year-round, um, which is really cool. And we've talked about seasonal fishing patterns uh, nationally, you know, ge- geographically speaking. And this certainly applies here because we can have frozen water up in uh, – where I live and we're ice fishing and I can drive, you know, five and a half hours and I'm in open water. I actually leave my boat down near Lake of the Ozarks in the winter and we're bass and crappie fishing in open water. So it's really cool. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think it applies really going both ways. I mean, the guys from the South can go North and fish colder water, or certainly even ice fish. Um, but you know, the important thing is to understand the seasonality of fishing and the whole strategy behind it obviously changes a lot when, because our water temperature varies drastically as we travel but it's a good topic because it's a great thing to do uh in in the winter time as you can absolutely still travel to fish especially the guys going north driving down south we just go to texas every year in february um every single year bass fishing and uh, obviously it was frozen solid up in iowa so it, it's cool but it takes a little bit to get our mind around and not only the weather that we're going to be in physically, but also certainly the water temperatures and fish movements and all those things. So it, it, it's really neat. Yeah, and I think you could argue that the guys that travel from the south and come north and the guys from the north that go south, by, by doing that during the different seasons, uh, I got to believe it makes you better at home during your regular season. Well, yeah, it does specifically for me is it always gets me in tune of what's coming back home. For example, if I go down to Texas in February and fish spawning bass, for example, um, I'm coming back home in April and May doing the same thing. So it's kind of like a, a rehearsal, which is really cool. And and a lot of the same things apply. You know, it's water temperature, sun exposure, hard bottom, where we find these fish, what the bait movements are is pretty typical all no matter where we go geographically speaking obviously some some strains of shad vary you know from thread fin to gizzard and um bait varies a little bit but the overall strategy really doesn't change at all no no and you you uh, you fish uh, differently based on the uh, the weather and of the, the uh, food source and the uh, time of year um the temperature of the water all, all of that comes into play no matter where you're at but i i think uh you know, tell us a little bit about what you do in the center part of the country there in Missouri and uh, 
you know, when you have extremes elsewhere where you still could have, you know, 75, 80 degree water down south and you have frozen water up north. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past, and it, specifically what I mean is what fish do in the fall. And, and, and on the crappie side, they school up just big time. And it, seven, degrees, seven degrees is warm, but usually when I'm down there around Thanksgiving and Christmas time, that water's in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it even gets lower than that, they school up, which is just awesome with electronics. And the way we're trying to target them, when you find one, you found 200. And, and that's a really neat thing. It's one of my favorite parts about the fall is the fish get in schools and they're really 100%, in my opinion, driven on bait when they're in between that fall to wintering movement. So really, we're looking for shad. We're looking for the right areas, usually, relatively speaking, close to deep water, but they don't necessarily have to be deep. And what I really mean by that is a lot of the crappie fishing we do in the winter in Lake of the Ozarks can be around a dock that's in 50 foot of water, but the crappies may only be six foot down. So they want to have that deep water sanctuary, but they're still around where the bait is, which is high in that water column. And we've done podcasts specifically on that. It absolutely applies. When when you're fishing those type of areas and uh, say you find a school of crappies, do you find bass mixed in with them? Oh, a hundred percent. Matter of fact, a lot of times we'll sling a crappie jig under a dock and you don't get it back <laughs> you can, and you can hear it jumping a couple times before the battle's over. So yeah, it, that definitely happens. You know, those bass are on the same shad those crappies are on and they're really making, relatively speaking, the same move uh, going to their wintering areas. You know, they're not way, way in the backs of the coves, but sometimes it can be halfway back, but they get real point specific channel bends, that type of thing. Anywhere that's relatively close to deep water seems to be the key. But yeah, the bass can absolutely be mixed in with them. Yeah, that that's uh, interesting that they're in the same spot. But I guess schooling up in the fall, you know, primarily uh, following food sources. And uh, I wouldn't imagine that the water temperature fluctuates that much that they could find warmer or colder water for comfort in the winter, would you? Well, the thing about deep lakes is they take longer to warm but they also take longer to cool if you think about it so they're going to hold their heat longer as you go into the fall so you can find quite a range of water temperatures especially especially when you're looking at surface temperature but that can be a really misleading thing because you can get a warm surface temperature reading and you might not catch them because once you get a little bit down that water stays really cold it depends on the time of year but in the fall and we've mentioned this before it takes a long time for fish to actually pull or we've also said in the spring it just takes the huge revelation to get them to come up seems like the water temperature is right they're just not there not there and all of a sudden they're all over the bank the fall's a little different because it takes them a lot longer to pull and part of that is because they're not in spawning mode and the, the rocks hold heat so a lot of the bait stay on the bank for a long long time and those big fish will stay right with them so you won't necessarily find them in shallow water on a two-foot flat way in the back of a cove but you can find them on the bank if it, if 40 foot of water is not far from it if that makes sense how about current does that make a difference whether it's wind driven or some of these impoundments that they have the rivers flowing in and the dams going out is there a rhyme or reason to that or is this mostly in the coves and in the bays well, I think it makes them bite when the water's still warm. There's times where they'll pull water and you can actually see your line going and feel it on your trolling motor and the fish will position themselves. A lot of times like trout will do in a trout stream, you know, they'll move to the upper side of that target. Like classic example is on a wing dam on the Mississippi river. They'll get on the top side of that thing in the current in the summertime, but on the river, as the river cools off a lot, they'll get out of that current and get more in eddies and pools and wintering areas. But down on the lake, the water stays warm enough where they really prefer that when they're feeding. A lot of times we'll see when they, they start moving that water is when those fish will really bite for a while. So it, that is, in my opinion, water temperature specific. The colder the water gets, like you get that water down around 40 and colder or even 42, 43, I don't like it moving. But if you in the 50s, they'll absolutely still bite it in moving water. Excellent. Uh, we've talked about this before uh, for fall fishing uh uh, let's talk a little bit about the size of bait that you can throw in the fall. Yeah, I've always been a big believer that you can go bigger. You can certainly start bigger because obviously you look at the size of our bait fish. There's also that natural instinct of fish wanting wanting to feed up. 
Um, you know, and, and then thirdly, some of those big bait fish are, are very susceptible. I mean, you can see them visually in clear water with the naked eye late into the fall in shallow water on the right days. And then obviously we want to start thinking about wind where they get blown into and mixing up that watercolor a little bit. But yeah, bait, size of bait for me, I'm usually going the biggest baits, in my opinion, I'm throwing in the years in the fall. Yeah, yeah, and you have said that before, and uh, I'm sure we have new listeners that haven't heard that before, so I always like to mention that. You said something about watercolor. Is it clearer in the fall because of less boat traffic and possibly less rains than there is in the spring? Yeah, that's a great question. A couple things happen. Obviously, we get a lot of our vegetation that's died off, but also we're past the turnover. And I think that's the biggest point. There's a period from summer to early fall where the water's a mess in lakes Mm -hmm. and most lakes, especially ones that turn over. But when you get into the late, late fall, when that turnover resides, the water gets super clear. And that's obviously important. Obviously, if we get, you know, mud banks and things that are wind driven, there's things that can build up, uh, more of a color in the water in a good way from that sense. But if you don't have that, your water can get super, super clear in the wintertime. Sometimes, you know, down the lake, there's arms sometimes where you can see 15 feet down. And that absolutely matters. We need to start fishing in wind, shade, um, early in the morning, in the afternoon, cloudy days. And if we have to go when it's slick and sunny, then we want to really watch the color of our baits, you know, more translucence, more natural colors with lighter line, fluorocarbon, really think through that and you got to slow your speed down at the same time because the water is cold so that 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 super clear cold water deal definitely takes a while to get used to and you got to be very patient to get the bite a lot of times i'll stay in real key areas where i know they are fine with electronics and just try to figure out a way to catch them that's always the key isn't it try to figure out a way to catch them and dan you always give us great information on how to do that and uh, look forward to talking to you next week Hey, Dave, thanks so much. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. This segment is always brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly has a passion for the outdoors. He has been on before. He is Director of Communications for Major League Fishing. Welcome back, Joel Pogger. Hey, Dave. Great to hear from you again. How you been? Oh, doing good, and uh, Uh, You've got some exciting news about some changes and what's going on with uh, Major League Fishing and some of the the rules and the way you're going to handle the fish uh, as far as... uh uh, bringing them into, uh, not bringing them into the scales, but but how many are going to count? 
no, so that's kind of one of the one of the cool things about this, you know, is uh, we we've made a scoring change on the Bass Pro Tour, and and you mentioned there, you know, we we don't bring them into the scales. We have the uh, catch weight immediate release format there on the water. So you know, in the past, the way we've done our scoring is you know every fish over that scorable threshold counts, whether it's a two pounder or a pound and a half. It kind of gets set on each fishery, but you know, it used to be you know Jacob Wheeler would go out and catch smack thirty bass. And, and have 120 pounds, uh, you know, and that was the way the event was scored. Well, you know, we've just recently announced a change, you know, after, uh, you know, a group of the hardcore fans, you know, a pretty good contingent of them, you know, made their voices heard to our anglers. And, you know, we, it was also something that Major League Fishing, you know, was aware of with the rumblings, but they brought it to the anglers. The anglers the, brought it to their angler board who, you know, kind of discussed it with Major League Fishing, proposed this rule change. We did our homework where we did a lot of kind of research on how it would affect the events and ultimately we made the decision we're moving from every scoreable fish counting next year to just weighing the are just counting the anglers five heaviest bass per day kind of fitting with you know the industry standard and what everybody else fishes you know so jacob wheeler will no longer be scored with 30 bass for 120 pounds (laughs) now it's going to be his best five and we're going to see jacob wheeler catch 35 pounds 34 pounds you know these massive limits that were kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit yeah yeah and now uh is there still going to be a minimum size that they can weigh or you're just going to wait at five biggest no absolutely you know that we still will have a minimum threshold and, and you know certainly at some major league fishing events it hasn't been the 30 bass a day you know some you know event one last year at bussy break and and caney creek reservoir down in louisiana we saw you know some really hardcore grinders where guys were in the top 10 with four fish a day but they were you know still weighing in quite a bit so we still will have that minimum weight threshold and we still expect in some tournaments that, that that's going to have a few huge effect on how everything shakes out do you think these anglers are going to uh fish differently because of that oh absolutely i mean the the five fish format kind of opens up a lot more you know techniques and tactics uh it allows guys to you know kind of fish to their strengths and, and target the bigger fish with the baits that, you know, they're kind of uh, used to. As, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, earlier this year, uh, one of our Bass Pro Touring was Tim Horton announced his retirement. You know, he was going to be moving on to just kind of filming his his television show and, and kind of transitioning into the next phase of life after tournament fishing. Well, now, you know, after this change, it, he, he pulled a Tom Brady on us announced, yeah, he's coming back. You know, this, it, it, you know, Tim is known for fishing, you know, big swim baits and, and kind of fishing, you know, for the five bites each day. So a change like this definitely changes how guys fish. Uh, now that being said, I don't necessarily know that that will have a huge drastic effect on the results or standings because, you know, like, like I said, these guys have all come up fishing this way. You know, Kevin Van Dam has, you know, in throughout his career, fished the majority of his career targeting five fish and the five big fish per, per day. So it's definitely going to change the tactics and it's going to change the, you know, how the tournaments shake out and, and what the English do strategy was. Yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, having done uh, this way where they, they're just playing the numbers game that are over the, the size that can be weighed. If, if the strategy for these anglers is going to go, they got to go back to a different learning curve on possibly uh, some of the same bodies of water they might have fished two, three years ago. Or, or is it, is it going to you know, transition into where if you catch 30, you probably have five that are pretty decent? Absolutely. And, and, you know, that was kind of one of the fans and the anglers biggest reasonings behind this. I mean, uh, last year at that event, number one down in Louisiana, like, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't even recall who won it, but there were multiple 30 pound five bass limits weighed in, you know, that kind of got lost in the shuffle because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, eight bass for 56 pounds, you know, just kind of like it, it would really be, became hard to compare and decipher what exactly that type of day meant and so having this change will allow us to really kind of showcase you know how great some of these fisheries that we've been going to are and better relate to that hardcore tournament audience 
Yeah, six to eight pound average is impressive anywhere. And and yes, I think it'll stand out more when you go by what is the old standard of five. But uh, the tweak on the old standard is that they're you're still catching them, weighing them, and putting them back, which is uh, good for conservation, good for the fish. Yes, and one of the, one of the really cool things about it, you know, is 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 we still have the the capability, and we are going to offer still that every fish counts format for some of our events. So so for fans that are you know uh, a fan of that uh, style and and format of the event you know the general tire heavy hitters our all-star event each year is still going to be the every fish counts format as well as our new general tire team series you know we've been filming that over these last couple of weeks for next year and and that is will still remain every fish counts over that you know minimum weight threshold as well so you know it's really cool that we're able to offer the best of both worlds you know and and still have our score tracker live leaderboard still do the catch way immediate release format but have just these different scorings for you know different fans so it's gonna be awesome yeah you you um and if you think about it you actually on the the catch way and release format you have more time to fish because you don't have to take care of the fish you don't have to you know check that that live box and make sure the aeration is good or make sure the water is cool enough there's there's a uh, throughout the day, uh, and and calling, you're you're calling and you're you're fishing, you're taking them out. I mean, th- you think about the time that you do that in an eight or ten hour day, and it, it's pretty substantial. You're absolutely right, and uh, the, you know the catchway immediate release format is, is the best part about that. It, it's just better, more conservation based, and and that's not saying you know five fish tournaments or live wells are are wrong or bad. You know, we still offer. Uh, the majority of our tournaments that we offer are that format, you know, but we are working always to figure out a way to, you know, be able to work this format down into our lower levels and we're opening things up and we're doing some of that with, you know, our college anglers with our, you know, Wiley X college face-off series, which is this format. And we're, we're, you know, starting to get, you know, everybody kind of used to this and we're working to get to a way where, you know, eventually, everything is catch way immediate release and way on the boat but yeah that's the that's plenty of years down the road and and it's certainly you know our some of our most successful series still remain with the five fish and and, the live well format and that's okay but it's just a different like you said it it takes a little bit more time because the English have to take care of their fish and they have to worry about stocking g-juice and having ice and keeping the live wells cooled and not making really long runs and things like that so yeah just a different style of game it is, and I, I think it's good, and being able to switch that format up after going uh, a different direction and still tweaking it um, as you go and seeing what people want. Have I mean, there's a lot of buzz about this going on uh, from from uh, the participants and from the spectators, and, and, and I think it's... Um, it's good to change it up a little bit and do something different. It, but ultimately, it's for the for the fisheries and for the fish to keep them them better. But have you had? You said that you had uh, people that are coming back because of this. Have you had, had anybody that said they weren't interested in playing the game this way? Uh, not that I've heard. Uh, you know, I did see a couple of social media posts with our angers being frank and saying, you know, we, they wish we wouldn't had made this change. But you know, uh, Brent Chapman is one of our pros that come to mind. But you know, but through and through, Brent is a class, a class act. Excuse me. And you know, so he, you know, he voices opinion in a classy way. But he also made it known, hey, it, but it is what it is. This is how I fished before, and we're going to give it a shot and see how it goes. So you know, not everybody agreed with the change but the overwhelming majority when it was put to a vote did and so you know major league vision being an angler driven league you know we're we're going to give it a shot and see how it works out and 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 we do believe that it will better relate to you know that hardcore tournament audience that that you know really that fishes the five fish every weekend basically it'll be able to better resonate with them and then also just create a level of excitement that you know would remain you know when we did our homework and our little bit of research we looked at Redcrest last year with that amazing bobby lane last minute catch you know he caught the last one two minutes left to take the lead well if we would have done the five fish format it would have been even more crazy it would have been luke clausen taking the lead with three minutes left and then wheeler would have got him with a minute 
minute and a half left. And then the eventual angler that would have won would have caught their final fish as time expired and called a fish to move ahead. So, it, I mean, it would have been a, still cr a crazy finish, and you, it, it's still going to be a lot of excitement moving to that five-fish format still, uh, no doubt. Yeah, I'm interested in looking at the, how they finish up this year for the year and how they finish up next year for the year and seeing if, there, if the format change was better for one angler or not. I, I think the easiest one's going to the gauge will be uh, Jacob Wheeler, but what he's done the last several years, it's hard to duplicate every year. Yeah, he, he has been on an amazing tear, but I also want to warn everybody, like <laughs> like everybody else, Jacob owned his game and, you know, cut, cut his teeth fishing those five fish limit format tournaments as well. So I would absolutely still expect uh, his name to be the top, near the top of the uh, AOI leaderboard next year. I would too. I wouldn't bet against him. Joe, we appreciate your time and your insight to the uh, industry and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Sounds great, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, no problem. That was Joe Opogger, Director of Communications for Major League Fishing. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, we will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta. We're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. You know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. He's back. We've had this young man on the show before. He is one of the young breed of hot sticks out there in the bass world, but he's got some things that set him apart. He's from Arizona. How can he be from Arizona? There's no fish in Arizona because there's no water in Arizona. We'll find out about that. Please welcome... An excellent fisherman and a great guy, Mr. Josh Bertrand. Hey, Josh, how are you doing? Steve, what's going on, man? Happy to be on board. Hey, happy to have you. And uh, so timely, uh, you're a big winner. You won the uh, uh, you won the WON Bass U.S. Open uh, out in, out in uh, 
uh, your neck of the woods, Arizona, Nevada. And uh, it was exciting. You called it uh, one of the greatest moments of your career, uh, which is really headed north in all areas of the game. Tell us about this event. Why was it held on Lake Mojave rather than Lake Mead? And uh, let's just, and then we'll go over the tournament. Tell me about the location. Yeah, you know, so this tournament is, you know, it's definitely a historical tournament in the bass fishing world, especially out west. Um, you know, it's been around for over four, I think this was the 40th anniversary, and um, it's been at Lake Mead every year through its existence. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but um, Lake Mead is, is really struggling with its water level, you know, uh, it's the water, the watershed, um, the watershed forward is the, is the Colorado Rockies and, um, you know, the snowpack just had been not enough to keep that lake full over the last, you know, it's been going down for the last 20 years. Um, it's still a big lake and it's still got a lot of water, but a lot of the launch ramps and marinas on that lake were built around it being full. And now it's, I mean, it's 150 feet down. So there's no launching facility other than one small boat ramp. And you've got the entire city of Las Vegas along with anyone else that wants to go to that lake using one two lane boat ramp. So it wasn't going to do the trick for a 200 boat tournament, you know, along with the normal traffic. So, you know, Billy, he tournament director, he had to tournament to the next lake below on the train on the Colorado River, and that's Lake Mojave. And Mojave's an awesome lake. It's it's not quite as big as me, but it's still about 50 miles long. Um, it does have a constant water level. You know, they keep it full. Mead is the kind of flood control lake, uh, the, the generation lake, and that uh, Mojave is in Havasu down below. They keep them pretty full. So uh, Mojave is a great spot. It was hosted out of Laughlin, Nevada. And, uh, you know, the fishing was really good. The fish in Mojave, I think Mojave probably doesn't quite have the numbers that Mead does, but the quality is, is, is twice what it is in Mead. I mean, you catch a two pounder at Mead, you're excited. And, uh, it takes a four pounder to get you excited at Mojave. So that was definitely a cool, uh, I think it, you know, honestly, I think it, it's an upgrade. Uh, Mead's an awesome lake and I, I hope it's a, a unique challenge. I hope it one day gets back to Mead you know, for multiple reasons. But right now, I think Mojave is an awesome spot to have this tournament. Excellent. Very, very good. Um, and you say this is a prestigious tournament, not, nice nice prize, uh, uh, you know, and, and then the, the respect of your peers that comes out of this because we don't uh, talk about the West Coast often. We talk about... Uh, uh, guys that come from the West Coast that come east to fish the the, the Gunnervilles and the Kissimmee Chains and, and you know all these famous waterways that that are east of the Mississippi, uh, we don't talk about the, the the Western fishermen that much. And I'm going to lump it all in and, and 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 say West Coast, even though you're not on the coast. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to say it otherwise, but. You read things and they'll say, oh, the Western style of fishing. Now, is there a Western style of fishing? You know, I think across the country, uh, anglers are getting so good these days that I think it bleeds both. Everything bleeds into each other, right? So like, uh, a dude that, that grows up down in Florida, he now knows how to drop shot pretty well. And a guy that grows up in Arizona or California can also pick up a flipping stick pretty well. Like, I think, you know, just overall fishermen are becoming more and more versatile. But there's definitely, um, you know, uh, there's still some, some tricks and stuff like that that I think, you know, a guy growing up out west learns that are applicable to the west. You know, and, and, and you know, it's kind of the stereotype, but, you know, the waters, the waterways out here are really clear, you know. So, uh you know, a lot of the Western fishermen kind of do a lot of finesse fishing growing up, myself included. And uh, that's really what it took in this tournament. That Mojave is like, at times you can see down 30, 35 feet. Now in this tournament, it was about 15 foot visibility. We've had, had some stains. So, you know, in quotes, it dirtied up, you know, it, it, which was still very clear. But uh, I would say uh, finesse fishing was definitely the name of the game in this tournament. 
Oh, that's uh, that is certainly certainly interesting. Uh, I've asked people this before. We have not had uh, Major League Fishing or, or the Bassmasters head west to any of the uh, famous fisheries out in your neck of the woods or even further west of you. Would you like to see that happen? I mean, there's some great lakes that have not been visited by the best tournament anglers. Uh, and I understand the logistics of having to make that long run, pulling a boat to the West Coast. But do you think it would be possible to pull something like that off at some point? I Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it's definitely possible. You know, it has happened before, but it's been a long time. I'm, 2015, I was fishing the elites and uh, we had made a Western swing and fished the Delta and uh, in California and Havasu, but it's been since then. So now we're 2022, almost 2023. It's been seven or eight years. And um, I think the anglers would like to see it. I mean, a lot, there will be a few that, that complain about the drive there would be a few but um, i think the anglers are all about going to new cool places that are good fisheries yeah and, you know, uh, when you see i think it was two years ago uh uh bass magazine said that uh, clear lake was the best lake for bass in the country and, and we don't even get to see it on tv because because they don't hit that lake uh, I'd, I'd like to see it and i know there's a lot of guys that would too i just know they don't want to make that drive you know, there's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of logistical issues with it, and I understand that. I mean, the the drive is one thing; it's more expensive for the tournament organizations to go out there, um, and there's just a business side to it too, right? I mean, a lot of the cities surrounding the lakes and the southeast and the central part of the country that you know those cities really thrive on bass fishing, and uh, they make agreements with the tournament organizations to hold these events. You know, there's money involved and you know out west unfortunately it's just that they don't maybe see the same value in bringing a tournament to their nearby lake you know what i mean that yeah, a tournament's going to bring in a lot of revenue that week not just that week though but i mean if you have a tournament on a body of water and, and the lake shows out you're you're going to bring people from all over the country to fish that fishery I mean, Mojave even for instance, I guarantee there's more people that are going to visit Mojave after last week um, because of the, how, how good the weights were. And we've seen that happen at places like St. Clair, Malax, um, you know, Chickamauga. And I just don't know out west if uh, these cities surrounding these western lakes really even know or care about that. You know what I mean? No, that, 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 that is interesting, because I, I do know, like that, like Havasu area, uh, a lot of people uh, move out there, a lot of people retire out there. I, I would think that yes. would be great advertise, uh, great advertising to get people to head to Lake Havasu area to, to buy property, uh, retirement property, or just to, just to live. Uh, I, I think it would be great. I'd love to see that happen. I, I was just... I agree. In the last 30 days, I was out in uh, a whirlwind tour of Arizona. I, we went to a family wedding in Sedona. Uh, nice. dro drove down to visit some friends who retired to Tucson. And uh, I, I've been to Arizona many times and have never seen the Grand Canyon. So I got to scratch that off my bucket list. Uh, going to the Grand Canyon and that Colorado River down about a zillion feet from where you're standing is the only water I saw the whole time I was out there. I remember the first time I went to Phoenix, I, I was visiting my mother who was living out there and, and I, I was going somewhere and I asked for directions and it was go here, go here, go here and make a, when you cross the river, make a left. So I, I drove and I said, I had to have missed it. So I drove back and I didn't see it. And I drove back. I kept going back and forth. I'm going, where's the river? So I stopped some, somewhere. I said, I'm trying to go here and I'm looking for the river. They go, oh, the, we only have the river in like January and February. It's dry otherwise. <laughs> it's just a river bed. Yeah. It, 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 oh, oh, that big bunch of sand. That was the river. Okay, I get it. Uh, you don't have that. So I think there's no water out there. But I, I had a, a studio television show in, years ago, and I, I had a guy, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, BASS sent me a guy to be on the show, and they sent me uh, a, a fellow, his name is Tony Bean, and he used to do a national TV show called Smallmouth USA. He was a smallmouth guy. And I asked, he told me he was going to retire. I said, where are you going to retire to, Tony? You know, he was from uh, 
Uh, he was from the southeast, and he said, I'm retiring to Arizona. I said, why would you retire to a place where there's no lakes? He said, that's a great secret. He says, in all honesty, he says, in northern Arizona, there's more. there are more lakes than there are in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Well, that's not true, but there aren't a lot of lakes if you look. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing because I'm sitting there going, you look on your website and you're part of the uh, the group, the Arizona Fishing Guides. It's widely promoted. It's very busy. you got some hot, hot sticks in that group of guys. And I'm going, how can this guy be part of the Arizona Fishing? Where is he guiding? What the heck is he doing? Man, tell me about Arizona. Clear up, uh, clear up everybody's misconceptions about this being the dry state. Yeah, you know, it's it's it. it you know, I, there's some justification for for people to think that, but really, if you're willing to, you know, if you're coming out of Phoenix, if you live in Phoenix, you've got six or seven really good, good sized reservoirs within an hour and a half. You know, um, you know, you're not going to be. You know, you're not gonna be able to hop in your truck, drive five minutes, and, and 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 go catch a trophy bass. But if you're willing to drive an hour or so, you've got a lot of options. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of cool because we've got your typical canyon, desert, clear water lakes, and then we've got some lakes that have a lot of submerged grass, um, a lot of wood, um, you know, the trees, stuff like that, some dirty water rivers. Um, there's there's more variety than you might think, but again, it's definitely it's it's it is no Minnesota, it's no Texas, it's no Florida. But when things are right, you know, it can be really good. A couple of our lakes have Florida strain bass, and uh, you know, there are some real big ones. There are some real big ones in these lakes uh, around here for sure. I've caught a couple twelve pounders um, fishing uh, fishing locally. Sure. There and you know what? There, there's an awful lot to do. It's it's a very vibrant state with with a lot happening. Some great cities, and I think it'd be uh, you know a lot of us like to take a vacation where we do nothing but fish. You know, from sun up to sundown. But there's an awful lot of people that like to go on vacation with the family, and you need some more things to do to keep the whole family. Uh, zeroed in on having a good time, and and maybe they all don't want to fish. Uh, there's a lot of locations in Arizona where you can combine them both, the uh, family vacation and fishing, uh, and it'd be a wonderful place to go. And in in the event that you go out to uh, you go out to Arizona, check out uh, Josh Bertrand's page and check out uh, just Google Arizona Fishing Guides, and as that's the site, the Arizona Fishing Guides, and you'll see uh, pictures and reports of some lakes that are going to absolutely blow your mind. And, and plan a vacation around a nice bass fishing trip as well. What do you think about that? I appreciate that, Steve. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, and I totally agree. There's, you know, it's a big city. There's a lot to do, both outdoors and uh, indoors. So, um, yeah, we uh, we would love to. Uh, any, if any of your listeners are interested, we would love to uh, get them out of the water. Excellent. Let me take a uh, let me take a quick break here. We're on. We Fish ASA with Josh Bertrand. I'm Steve Sarley. We'll be right back with more Josh Bertrand right after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. 
and with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. We are the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. We're going to argue about that in a second. Uh, again, I'm Steve Sarley. We are brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. And speaking of proud, I am proud to have as our guest this week, Mr. Josh Bertrand. All right, I just rubbed it in with that best fishing show on the internet because uh, we're actually competitors. You know, I, I, I couldn't carry your equipment for you when it comes to fishing or, you know, or being on the boat. But you've been doing the podcast for a while. Yeah, yeah, and uh, thanks for bringing it up. It, uh, I definitely would, wouldn't consider us a competitive of yours. Well, I'm, you I'm just, Josh. Guy. I'm just being a nice guy. I'm going to edit this out <laughs> later because I don't want to be, I don't want to be promoting your podcast. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. No, I'll, I'll keep sliding it in. No, uh, but we, we, we just, we have fun with. I do it with a couple of my best friends, and uh, we. It's not real nuts and bolts fishing. It's a lot of just the stories and stuff that you would tell over dinner with your buds after you get off the water, talk, talk a little smack to each other. So we have fun. It's called Angler's Happy Hour. <laughs> Angler's Happy Hour. Hmm. That sounds like there might be a cocktail or a uh, a beverage uh, uh, that's uh, being imbibed while this show is being done. Yeah, you know, we uh, we usually <laughs> we usually don't actually do it during happy hour. We have for sure, but uh, a lot of times we'll do it like just when we can. Just you know, if you're busy, and you know how hard it is to to get uh, three people schedule on the same on the same wavelength, and especially if you get a guest, that's four. So we do it when we can. But again, it's, it gives us a great excuse to stay in touch. You know how hard it is to stay in touch with your friends. Oh yeah. Um, it's like it's like having an hour long phone call or chat or hangout session with your buds every week, and uh, you know there's there's some folks out there. We got a pretty diehard group of listeners that that enjoy it. Oh, definitely, definitely a, a cool thing, and uh, I appreciate what you said about not being the nuts and bolts and more of the stories because you know there's something for everybody, and and I like I like the nuts and bolts myself. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I love it all. But some people are looking for different things, and you know, you, you do what you do, and you know, some people like vanilla, some people like chocolate. That's why they make different flavors of ice cream. So, so it is, it is what it is. I'll get taken to task sometimes. Why'd you waste time talking about this? And uh, you know, I, uh, I can't always ask. Well, you know, when you're making a spinner rig, what color beads do you use, and how many beads? It's a little too. Detail, detail for me, and I'll, I'll go off and ask other things. I, heck, I spent almost the whole segment with Bill Dance talking about at his office when they replaced the toilet paper, do you put it on with the, the, the paper coming off the front of the roll or turn it around and off the back of the roll? This is like a hot subject in the Bill Dance world, and uh, we spent 10 minutes talking about it, and I caught hell afterwards from you. I, I don't want you to hear Bill Dance talk about toilet paper. What's wrong with you? And I say, hey, you know what? I enjoyed it. It was good. And whenever I bump into Bill, it's always, hey, Steve, the toilet paper guy. How you doing? So that is, yes. It, it, you know, yeah. what? Go ahead. That is, uh, that is, don't mind the background noise. My son just ran in. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. And you're totally right. That's the cool thing about podcasting is it's wide open. You know, it's, uh, it's turned into such a, a big thing over the last five years. And, um, you know, you could, again, and, and with our show, like one show might be a one, every show is different, right? And, uh, you know, it can depend on the guest, depend on your mood. And uh, there's really no rules. So that's that's what I love about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I just want to, you know, I I, I, I do it. And I want to, we're not on the radio, we're not on the terrestrial radio. So you're not, uh, uh, under the rules of the FCC or that, but I try to operate on the basis that I am. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be cussing or swear yeah. words or talk about objectionable things. But, 
you know, it, it is what it is, and, and it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I wish I was a young guy like you and, and doing this. Can I have many more years to grow into this? But uh, you're you're in a great position right now. Hey, you said that was your son in the background? Tell me about your family. I've got a uh, four-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And, uh, yeah, he just he came running in to tell me that he's uh, somehow got a He's eating a popsicle at seven thirty in the morning. So, uh, good <laughs> hey, sounds sounds pretty good to me. What uh, uh, which of the kids gets more excited when they go to a tournament and see you up on the stage? You know, they both uh, they both love uh, love fishing. They love going on the boat, and uh, you know they've got their little jerseys. You know, he's a little mini me. You know, my my daughter loves. I think she actually enjoys going on the boat and hanging out more than him. But uh, when it comes to playing the part and, uh, you know, wearing that jersey and, and, and trying to uh, be like dad, it's definitely him. He definitely, uh, you know, after, after a tournament, he'll wear his little jersey uh, all week long if you let him. It's pretty cute. Oh, that's adorable. That is absolutely adorable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Let's talk about this WON Bass U.S. Open win that you just captured on Lake Mojave. First of all, what is WON? Uh, Western Outdoorness. So it's a publication that's been out for quite a while out west. Um, it's basically like a magazine, but now they've got, you know, website, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, but it, but it, Western Outdoor News is the is the company, and they ho they host a lot of tournaments. You know, they host a handful of big bass tournaments, and uh, they're based out of California, so they have some other stuff too. They do trout stuff and saltwater. Um, you know, they do tuna stuff, they do trout uh, uh, striper stuff. So, pretty big organization. Okay, what do uh, uh, how much guiding are you still doing? How much guiding am I still doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I squeeze in about 20 trips a year. Okay. I used to do it almost full time, but, uh, you know, I, I, during the off season, basically now through December, I squeeze in, you know, a couple of trips a week, uh, just to stay on the water. Cause I really enjoy it. Uh, but then I've got, you know, a handful of buddies that, that, uh, are full time and I, you know, end up uh, sending them a lot of stuff through the year. All right. Let's go back to this WON Bass US Open that you won. Clear Lake, you can see down 30 feet. Uh, that can be some tough fishing. Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen this plenty, and it's absolutely the kiss of death when you're on water like that and it's not moving at all. Uh, you know, uh, uh, bluebird skies on a calm day, man, it's tough to get those fish to eat anything you throw at them. You faced that condition on this tournament. You had totally slack water right yeah you know it uh, it was calm we had typically that lake and again not not from experience but from what i've heard that lake is notoriously windy and rough you know it's down in a valley that just acts like a wind tunnel and uh, you talk to any local they'll tell you that place is is frequently you know unfishable because of high winds and uh we got I guess you would call it lucky to where we didn't have a high wind day from the start of practice until the end of the tournament. It was calm and hot, hundred degrees every day, and not a lick of wind. So, you know, at least you're able to move around and fish efficiently, but you're right about that being a tough situation to get a fish to bite in, you know, especially if you're trying to fish shallow. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing for me was, you know, I, I, I stuck to finesse. I drop shot at a Berkeley flatworm from start to finish in the tournament. Um, you know, and a drop shot is one of the few things that the fish will still bite when it is calm and slick and clear like that. And uh, I also kind of went a little deeper than I think a lot of people did. Just again, you know, a fish in 30 feet is going to bite whether it's zero mile an hour wind or 15. You okay. know, he's pretty unaffected by that. So it, it really did not hinder my game plan much. Okay, excellent. Hey, you know, I, I realize uh, well, you've got some excellent sponsors and you can drop a name on every you would like, but you're, you're, you're big time with, uh, with pure fishing. You know, I know you use the uh, Abu Garcia stuff and the, uh, uh, the, the Revo and all that and their, and their lines, but you mentioned it before 
that uh, Berkeley Powerbait Max scent, Flat Worm. What is the deal with that Max scent? That's like magical uh, from everything I see. What? Why is that stuff so good? And is it as good as I'm making it out to be right now? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, and that's, it's a really good question. You know, everyone's heard about it. That flatworm has won so many smallmouth tournaments and other max sense stuff. They've won a lot of other tournaments. And, um, you know, it looks so different than your typical plastic material that a soft base made of. It's like, it's, it's got a weird feeling to it. It obviously has a crazy scent and it's got a different look as far as colors go. It's more of a matte, like a, opaque looking color rather uh -huh. than like the shiny plastics that you're used to seeing. And it took me a little while when it first came out in like 2017 to really give it a fair shot because it was so different. You know, it was like, I don't know about this stuff, you know, and, and oh, you know, at, at trying it and have with it and I try another shape and have success and now it's at the point where if there's a shape in max set um i'm gonna throw over anything else by a long shot you know like if you're throwing a stick worm and make a general that general is absolutely killer i mean it's it, that scent is the real deal and i'm not a biologist i don't know what it is in it that that make fish bite it and hold on to it but it's not i mean you see it on the packaging that <laughs> you know how much longer they hold on to it and stuff and, and it's the truth i've been to the facilities in spirit lake iowa where they where they test the stuff out on real fish and um develop all these scents and stuff like that and it's they, they'll show you tests and it's the real deal it's it's unbelievable and there's something about small mouth it's a big deal on large mouth but there's something about small mouth where they are even crazier for it and i have like ultimate confidence when i go into a smallmouth tournament that that's all i have to throw and uh you know talking to some some buds that were out there they're they're trying different stuff and i think they'd bite this a little bit better i think they'd bite that a little bit better and i was just like man i i've only were throwing one thing all week <laughs> great yeah. pumpkin flat one i haven't even if i'm drop shotting that's what i'm throwing I, I don't know if you find this true, but I, I've always thought that smallmouth will spit the bait quicker than a largemouth. Largemouth will hold its mouth a little bit longer. So I think that really makes a big difference with the smallmouth is coming up with something that just gave you that split second longer in the mouth. Uh, gives you better, ch more time to set the hook on them. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I actually do, Steve. It's a great point, and uh, it gets even harder when you get more and more pressure, too. Like, I mean, uh, a smallmouth is already more likely to do that, and then you add all the fishing pressure of, of, of boats fishing on top of their head all day, every day. It's even worse. Good so, point. You know, having that set is a huge situation in fishing pressure situations. Well, I am sad because we are out of time. I really enjoyed this. Uh, enjoyed it the last time we spoke, and, and hopefully we'll do this again real soon. Josh Bertrand, my goodness, this guy is good. He's fished it all. We're talking to him today because he's the winner of uh, the prestigious WON Bass U.S. Open out on Lake Mojave. Uh, th this guy is good. He's, uh, one of the top guys in this West coast explosion that's taken over the rest of the country. If you get a chance and you're in Arizona, a great state to visit, Google, uh, the Arizona fishing guides. It'll be a site that's got the best guides in, in the Arizona and beyond be a great day. Great thing to do on a family vacation. And then if you're totally bored and out of things to entertain you, you might want to Google uh, Angler's Happy Hour, Josh Bertrand's podcast. <laughs> yeah, make sure really you, you make sure you listen to this one first before you go to Josh Bertrand's Angler's Happy Hour. But do listen to Angler's Happy Hour. It's a good listen. And Josh Bertrand, we appreciate you. Thanks for being on. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And let's do it sooner next time. Thank you much, Steve. It was, it was an honor, uh, as it was before, and I look forward to, to uh, chatting again. Thanks, Josh Bertrand. Isn't he something else? I think so. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnson from St. Croix, Joe O'Pogger, Major League Fishing. A lot going on with MLF these days, sure is. 
and a guy I really enjoyed interviewing, Josh Bertrand. What a great guy, great fisherman. Got to make it out to Arizona, do some fishing. How unbelievable would that be? I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yeah, Daiwa reels, they surely do. Remember that we've got a new podcast up every Wednesday. You can always check it out on our website, wefishasa.com. You can communicate with us there, too. We answer all of our emails. So please, have at it. You know, if there's uh, somebody you'd like to hear us have on the show, we'd be happy to work that out. So let us know what you like. We're always interested in hearing your opinions. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. professional angler Kevin Van Dam and people always ask me what's the best and easiest way to catch fish well that's simple keep our waterways clean and free of litter you know tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move pitch them in the trash do your part and join me visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it